and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to head down to New York City to pick up some super crack and maybe some hookers. Uh, and we're going to, you know, try to piece our girlfriend back together after she got hit, killed by a lawnmower. Uh, you know, we're going to be covering a beautiful, wonderful movie from 1990 called Frankenhooker. Now, my history with this wonderful gorgeous movie is i probably first saw it it's been on shutter for a little bit so i think probably a year and a half or so ago maybe somewhere around there i came across on um when i was on patreon i used to give to the dead meat channel for three bucks to be able to listen to commentary tracks of theirs uh i might go back to doing that i don't know yet actually i kind of like their commentary i came across one track of theirs where they were gonna watch frankenhooker and i had kind of wondered about that movie a little bit because i never really saw it or anything and um I put it on with the commentary track to listen to good old James and Chelsea talk about it, and they actually seem to like it, which was fun. They're both uh, fans of Basket Case from Frank Henenlotter, which this is a Frank Henenlotter movie, and uh, I really enjoyed myself when I watched it. And then a couple months after that, it ended up getting on Joe Bob on The Last Drive-In when they did a special for Valentine's Day. They showed a movie called Black Roses from the 80s, which is like this weird, like, rock and roll, like, creature feature type movie. And then they showed Frankenhooker. And they actually had Frank Henenlotter on, and they had James Lorenz, who is the lead character, pretty much, of this movie. I watched it and was able to find out some cool information, which is nice. And yeah, so I just really like this film. It's pretty much exactly what you think it is. Uh, It is a version of the Mary Shelley Frankenstein story only you throw in um hookers and an unfortunate lawnmower accident and uh you know you get frankenhooker so but anyway as we normally do on this show i will go over some information about this film some production history all of that and then we'll go also into a plot summary so without further ado let's move into those figures so frankenhooker was a limited release on june 1st 1990 it was written by frank henenlotter and robert martin directed by frank henenlotter and produced by james glickenhouse and Edgar Ivans. We're looking at a budget of two and a half million estimated, and we're looking at a box office of about $205,068. We're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 57% on the tomato meter and a 58% audience score. We're looking at a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb and a letterbox score of 3.5 out of 5. For our cast of characters, we have James Lorenz as Jeffrey Franken, Patty Mullen as Elizabeth Shelley, or Frankenhooker, Joseph Gonzalez as Zorro the Pimp, and Louise Lasser as Mrs. Franken, Jeffrey's mother. Some critical response quotes about Frankenhooker are as follows. We have Mike Massey from Gone with the Twins, who states, The entire concept could have been campy fun in the hands of more creative or capable filmmakers. 
We also have Nigel Floyd from Time Out, who states, The resulting fragmented mess will no doubt keep some in stitches, but it is definitely less than the sum of its body parts. So before we move into a plot summary of Frankenhooker, I wanted to share a little bit of just like baseline production history I could find about this film. This was pretty much a very small released film. Uh, Mostly it came out in art house or grindhouse kind of movies because of just the subject matter of this film. This was Frank Henenlotter's pretty much, I think, third or fourth release uh, for film. So, of course, he had did Basket Case back in 1982, which is like kind of a cult classic movie in itself. He came out with Brain Damage, and that also kind of did all right. And then he, of course, came out with Basket Case 2. Um, I don't remember when that was, but he did come out with other Basket Cases, since that's his very well-known uh, portion of his films. But then Frankenhooker came out in 1990, and really, he like improvised the idea of the story or you know in a pitch meeting and then when it got greenlit he actually like wrote the script for it um so it kind of just pulled it out of his butt it seems like and he was able to get james lorenz who is jeffrey in this movie he had been in a movie called street trash and i guess Frank Henenlotter saw him and liked him, so he cast him in the role. And then Patty Mullen, who is Elizabeth slash Frankenhooker, she was a penthouse pet of the month. And so he liked her and decided he wanted to get her for the movie. This movie costs about, I think I said like 2.5 million or 1.5, uh, but there were still some budgetary issues of this film. So, for example, like uh, for Pyrotechnics, uh, they used up all the budget. And so, for example, you use up all the budget, and then you wonder, how am I supposed to like do this lab scene that I have to do? And they pretty much had to do unlicensed pyrotechnics for that because they had already spent all the budget. So there was that. And then also this was Henenlotter's first SAG film. So he had to use actors who were members of the guild. But a lot of these women who were part of the guild who he had play like hookers and all this kind of stuff, sex workers, you know, they weren't inclined to do nudity. So he ended up just trying to find girls that would be willing to do nudity. Um, And so he also got some like strippers from the local area to come in and do this work and, and all of that kind of stuff, Uh, which then it was fun because then they could end up being in SAG because they were in a SAG movie. So that's kind of fun. But yeah. And then even uh, if you notice uh, when Jeffrey's driving around, he's driving New York city, actually some of those, shots we see are of actual sex workers at that time so i thought that was really interesting too and of course the famous story we have of this is that the film ran into trouble before it went through the mpaa so it got screened there and apparently henenlotter has stated that the head of the board richard hefner at the time of the mpaa he called his production company and stated like hey I'm going to like rewind and send this back to you. I'm going to send you your screening feedback because we do not have an S rating. And they asked like, well, what does S mean? Is it for sexy? And then apparently Richard Hefner said, no, it is for shit. We do not have a rating for this. Apparently, producer James Glickenhaus, he fought back and he brought this feud public. And ultimately, the MPAA went with an X rating for this movie. But... 
they refused it and just released their film unedited anyway, which is why it ended up going into like grindhouses, art houses, stuff like that, and it didn't get like a wide release. But that's pretty much all the information I have in terms of production history. Uh, this is very much a uh, Frank Henenlotter movie, if you know what that is. It's low budget for what movies are, and it's very flies to your pants kind of thing. But also, it was picked up by Troma as well, Troma Entertainment, and it's also under their umbrella as well. I really enjoy this movie. I think it is a silly, silly time, and you shouldn't take it too seriously. Lots of boobs. Lots of that in this film, given the title. And so I think it's just so funny. It's so silly. And without further ado, let's move into our plot summary. So we begin our movie with the good old trauma theme entering in with the New York City skyline in the background. And it's uh, Trauma Entertainment and Michael Hertz Presents. And then we get our beginning to the movie, which is a brain with an eyeball on it. We hear somebody talking and apparently giving it a lobotomy with a little scalpel. And we get introduced to Jeffrey Franken, played by James Lorenz in this movie. And he is a young man who lives in New Jersey, Hohokus, New Jersey to be exact. And he works at a power plant, a local power plant, local electric company. And he's also a scientist uh, in his spare time who specializes in bioelectricity. He has uh, dropped out of medical school, apparently. And you see him playing with this like weird brain creature thing. And he's trying to get it to uh, follow his hand while it's in this like weird... Uh, purple preservative stuff and we also then get introduced to a lady with a bright apron on i don't know what her name is and i don't know who plays her but we get introduced to her because she's coming in to get some ketchup and like bottle of like old school pepsi to bring out to this party we see going on outside uh it's like a barbecue but it's actually a birthday party being thrown for the other kind of main character we have in here, Elizabeth Shelley, played by Patty Mullins. So we get introduced to Elizabeth with her fat suit. Uh, we get introduced to her and her mom. Her mom is telling her, like, you know, uh, for your own sake, like, ease up on the po- pretzels. And then we see Elizabeth talking to one of her friends outside and is like, you know, oh, I tried every diet around. I tried this, then this, and this, and this. I even let Jeffrey stiff in my stomach once. And then we see actually um, that this is a birthday party for Elizabeth's father. And then we also see we go back into the house in the kitchen where Jeffrey is and he is still trying to make that brain like follow his hand or whatever. And I think he does get it to happen. But then we see Elizabeth come in. She is, you know, wondering what he's doing. And she's just like, well, let's go outside. You know, my dad's made a ton of hamburgers. You know, let's do that. And so we then see this like family and friends around while the uh, father is blowing out his birthday candles on his cake that they have made him. And then we see Elizabeth get up and present her father with this gift that she's giving him, which is this like uh, electronic like lawnmower thing with a remote and everything. And so then we see uh, Elizabeth, she is unveiling this and she has the remote in her hand and she's telling her father like how the remote works for the lawnmower and all this. But then Jeffrey notices like, oh my God, no, like you're in its path. Like, you know, if you turn it on, you know, get out of its way. But then it's too late and Elizabeth is off screen, uh, I guess, torn to pieces 
by this electric lawnmower. So that's how we open our film with this gruesome, gruesome killing. Then we move into our actual like title sequence where we have all of the actors' names and everything, and we hear Jeffrey mumbling to himself while he's like drawing on this schematic of just like a woman's body, I guess. Um, but it looks kind of like a schematic, so it looks like something like a blueprint. And so we hear him kind of mumbling to himself and everything like that. And then we then come up to him and he uh, is kind of walking around his room. And then he takes out a book and he takes out a videotape that he has put in this book. He's like cut out a little part for it. And he, it's a little videotape that says Elizabeth. And he pops it into his old school VCR and takes a watch at it. And pretty much what this is, is that it is a videotape of a local news report of what happened to Elizabeth, where we find out that she died in this lawnmower accident. All of her parts have not been recovered. She was like a human jigsaw puzzle, I think, is how the police chief explained about how she is. And then we see the local news uh, trying to get a statement from Jeffrey, I guess. They like stop at his house, and he's just like, why don't you people leave people alone with their grief? which is just so funny to me. And anyway, he then turns that off and he goes back to what he was doing. And then his mother comes into his room to kind of pick up after him a little bit. His mom is played by good old cult film staple, Louise Lasser, who, if anybody knows her, she was in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman as Mary Hartman from the 70s. She was also in Blood Rage in the early 80s. She plays the mom in that. And she has these evil twins, and she also had a, like, nervous breakdown uh, on SNL, famously, and got, like, banned from the show, apparently. But anyway, she's the mom in this movie, so of course she would be. And so she's talking to her son, Jeffrey, about how he has to move on, life goes on, uh, maybe you should go back to medical school, you know, there's this like, nice girl at the supermarket, maybe you can get together with her, that kind of stuff, in her beautiful, you know, Louise Lasser voice that she has, kind of like that. They're then talking about, you then see Jeffrey, like, spiraling into just deeper and deeper madness, I guess, is pretty much what he's saying. Uh, his mom offers to make him a sandwich. It'll be no trouble. And he's like, no, nah, I'll get my own food tonight. Don't worry about it, mom. And then well, before she leaves his room, she asks him, like, just do me a favor. Just don't stay up all night, please. And he's like, no, nah, don't worry, I won't. And so she leaves his room. Apparently, a little fun fact about this is that Louise Lasser actually had some issues with her voice on set. And so actually, a lot of her... Uh, dialogue here because this is like literally her only scene is 80 yard after the fact which makes sense because you don't really you don't see her lips moving a whole lot you just hear some of her talking so it wouldn't be surprising if it was 80 yard in yeah so that happened on set apparently but then we see that jeffrey goes outside to his car in the driveway and he goes and opens his trunk and he takes out a sack of some sort that apparently has stuff in it we don't know exactly what yet but we'll get to that and he goes into his like garage slash whatever the hell this place is this is his lab i guess we see that he has this like weird refrigerator filled with this like purple preservative stuff and like he goes into there and he's talking to it we're like why is he talking to this like goo pretty much anyway what he does is he takes out the decapitated head of Elizabeth, which I guess he took from the crime scene, and also her hands and, like, I think her foot or something like that that he's just kind of, like, collected. He has a uh, nice little dinner with her that we see where 
he has her drink wine, but of course he's giving wine to a decapitated head. So it just goes right through the, it goes right through to the tablecloth, the little lacy tablecloth they have. And uh, yeah, he's just, uh, it's driving him to have these like mock dinners. He has a nice little poem called Contents Under Pressure, which apparently was written by the guy who co-wrote this movie, Robert Martin, who, if any of you all know, I think he has since passed away, but he was actually the co-founder of Fangoria magazine, um, and he and Frank Henenlotter uh, got together to write this, because he knew Frank Henenlotter from, of course, you know, Basket Case and stuff, and they uh, got together and they wrote this movie, so that's kind of fun. But anyway, yeah, so in the meantime, you know, you have this, like, weird uh, dinner going on, but we kind of get the idea behind what's going on, because you just realize that really what Jeffrey is trying to do in this situation is he's trying to put put back together Elizabeth and he needs to find parts for her. And he also, in a weird way, he uses, I guess, to give himself ideas and stuff like that. He uses a power drill that he sticks into his brain. Go with it. And he just like drills his brain which I think might have been used in another Hen and Lauder movie, honestly, but he uses it to just give himself ideas. So he's just like, maybe I can use stewardesses, you know, like, and this is how he'll like get the stewardesses to like follow him so he can like, you know, take, take the Roddy parts. And then he puts the power drill back in his head. So he decides, all right, it's perfect. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And this is where he gets the bright idea that he decides he's going to go down to the uh, 42nd Street in New York City, because again, he's right in New Jersey, and he's going to go after the ladies of the night to see if he can procure some of their parts for his... uh, his Frankenstein's monster, pretty much. So then you see Jeffrey, he's driving in his like old ass car, his like, you know, whatever kind of car it is. And you see him driving through, he's like talking, he's like, oh, that's very interesting. Oh, that's a good view. But whatever. Some of these camera shots that you see are like actually in New York City and are of actual sex workers at that time, which is kind of fun. I think I already mentioned it a little bit back in my production history, but a lot of these ladies. Ladies who are doing this job as the sex workers in this this movie either were actual maybe softcore porn stars or people who already can in adult entertainment. I think you had a smattering of people who weren't necessarily in the adult entertainment industry or anything like that. Apparently, also Frank Henenlotter just found some people who were like stripping uh, in a local place too, and also had their services done as well because, of course. You need that to kind of round out your cast of um, this movie. But yeah, he goes down and he's going to try and find the, you know, prostitutes, these sex workers to see what they can, uh, see what they can do for him. So he comes to this one inner pass, I guess, where he sees all of these sex workers all around and they're just saying, want a date? Want some company? Want to get some action? Whatever. All that kind of stuff. Love. And he gets one lady who's just like, you know, you have any money? And, you know, they're talking, they're having this back and forth. She has this like cute little red like top on and all that. She also, um, pulls down her uh, top to just expose her breasts to him while he's in his car. And she thinks, okay, well, cool. He's got money. Like, okay, give it to me. Give it to me. Whatever, whatever. Right. And so he's like, no, 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 it's not just you. I need more than just you. I want to have like a party. I'm having this little thing. So then we see this one 
prostitute and she calls over her friend Amber who is iconic and she just like walks and struts over there like she's the only bitch which is amazing and she comes over there and again he's explaining like you know my brother he's sick I want to have like a party for him you know all this kind of stuff and it's like okay like all right like as long as you're not gonna like kill us or whatever you should be okay well we need to talk it over with Zoro though so this is where we find out who Zoro is after meeting these girls and the main prostitute, I guess, who's in the red. She takes Jeffrey, who she affectionately calls Jersey Boy, and she takes him to this bar called uh, Huevos Rancheros or something like that. Um, it's like a bar and grill or whatever, but it's just like a really seedy bar. And we meet... Uh, the bartender behind named Spike, uh, who's played by Shirley Soper or something like that. And she, you know, the prostitute asks like, you know, hey, where's Zoro at? Oh, he's in the back. You know, I haven't seen him all night. And so they go back with Jeffrey and you just are passing all of these like shady looking people, kind of seedy looking people while they go into pretty much what is the bathroom of this place. I guess the men's room or whatever. And we meet Zorro, who's played by Joseph Gonzalez, who apparently uh, was found in this movie by um, going to a gym and just finding a guy who was really muscly, apparently. And uh, they were like, all right, shit, like, let's get him. And so that sounds very like friendly, kind of louder, honestly. And we meet him. So he is both a pimp and he is also a crack dealer as well. He sells some drugs. He's slinging. And pretty much what happens is Jeffrey comes over there and he's just like hey i want to get some of these girls for a night out um kind of like for a party kind of situation and jeffrey pretty much tricks zoro into letting him rent each one of the girls for a single night um so he can kind of look and see but he's not going to do anything with them you know because he's not in that um frame of headspace i guess but he wants to um find these different parts for elizabeth that he wants to take and so then he Goes back home after finding this all out, you know, and he then is in his room. He turns on, I believe it is a uh, Morton Downey Jr. inspired type of thing. If you don't know who Morton Downey was, Morton Downey Jr. or whoever, he was kind of like your proto Jerry Springer, if you will. He had this show. Uh, It wasn't like Phil Donahue, but it was like this like trash TV show back in the 80s. It was called the Morton Downey Jr. show. Um, He has since passed away, but this is like kind of an inspired uh, film that it has Beverly Bonner in it, who is from Basket Case, who I love. She's talking about sex workers or something like that. Um, because I think she's actually playing her role from Basket Case, which is really funny. And Morton Downey, if you don't already know, Morton Downey Jr., he was known for like having this trash talk TV show. And one of his like things he did was he was always just chain smoking throughout the whole show. Um, and he would like blow smoke in people's faces and all this. He was not exactly uh, seen as the nicest guy, let's say. But this gives uh, an idea because they were talking about crack cocaine, which at this time was still kind of a, a big issue. Um, it's still kind of is honestly jeffrey's inspired by this news report about crack cocaine which caused the death of these different prostitutes in new york uh he develops something called super crack which he finds makes living 
things explode pretty much. He actually develops this. Jeffrey develops it. He puts it in one of his gerbils or he has a gerbil or something. And you see the gerbil explode. I'm pretty sure it was a fake gerbil. But anyway, he develops this super crack because, you know, why not? And he's not doing anything as wrong as crack will, pro- crack will probably kill these sex workers anyway if they're addicted to it and they you know go down that path of drug addiction after he develops the super crack he goes back down to 42nd street to get see the hookers and he uh lures them all to a hotel room doing a medical examination because he's a doctor apparently not really but he is there and he's kind of he's pulled the wool over zoro's eyes a little bit and he marks the girls with the different body parts he wants for Elizabeth so it's so funny how like they're all standing there and he's like going under their like legs and he's like measuring their legs and it's like so silly it's just so like not even slapstick but it's just like it's really funny and just how this whole scene is and these like hookers and prostitutes they're so like just stereotypical like prostitutes pretty much just like you know popping their gum like looking this way looking that way it's just so funny um and of course they have the looks obviously he begins to start to have second thoughts uh but before it's too late because again he's under the guise of like oh i'm doing this for my brother and all this and da 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 and so he's having these second thoughts um the prostitutes damn it they find this bag of super crack um, which he didn't want them to get because he's like, oh shit, now I'm just, I don't know. And they all smoke it despite the pleas of like, oh no, don't, don't, don't do that. And then this is where we get, honestly, one of the best uh, movie th- moments ever, to be honest. Um, we have a, we have a whole hotel room of just exploding hookers all over the place because there's like eight of them or something. And each one of them specifically just explodes right in front of our face in sheer horror. And honestly, it's just such a beautiful sight to see because just the way that they have it, I mean, um, I believe kind of the background of this was the fact of like, and this really is what used up a lot of the pyrotechnics budget of this movie, which I just think is so funny. And But pretty much like the the actress who was portraying the prostitute would have to like, do a life cast of themselves in this particular expression that they had. And so then it was like, before they exploded, they pretty much would have to make that expression. And then it was very much just like, just cut to like this model exploding. It's just so silly and so schlocky and it's beautiful and wonderful. Please watch it. Oh my gosh. Um, You know, it's just, so yeah, the prostitutes all explode and all of their body parts are all over the place. And so in the meantime, Zoro hears this commotion and he rushes to the girls, but only to be knocked out by one of the heads of his girls. And he gets knocked out. And so while Zoro is knocked out by one of his hose heads, Jeffrey, he goes and he takes the body parts that he wanted to because he marked them. And he takes them in trash bags. And he's promising to bring, uh, to restore the girls once he brings Elizabeth back. Because again, he's taking these because he's going to make Elizabeth. So after he uh, picks the perfect body parts for, for this 
Frankenstein monster and he sews them back together and he uh, takes Elizabeth's head and puts it back onto the body that he has gotten together. Uh, We then see him in his little garage area put this body onto a um, slab, I guess. And he uses the lightning from a nearby storm. So very much in Frankenstein fashion, he has the slab rise up out of the garage up to the sky and then the lightning strikes and it's to shock elizabeth's new body to life again similar to how it was in the regular frankenstein movie and so (laughs) we see this and we see his new creation now coming to life however when we then get back because we see her standing up now and it has like a sheet over her or something and he takes the sheet off so we don't even really see frankenhooker really until like 50 something minutes into the movie (laughs) honestly because we have all this other stuff going on her body and her face move a little awkwardly uh, because, you know, it's a, a mixture of different body parts and different legs, arms, all that kind of stuff. And her face moves very awkwardly, too. So it's very much kind of like a, her lip is to one side and it's like a diagonal and it's very much that kind of thing. These facial expressions done by Patty Mullen, I think, is so good and just adds to this character which is really, really fun. And she can only repeat, and I love this, she can only repeat what the previous girls said before they died. So if you listen, all she could say is, want a date? Got any money? Looking for some action? Want some company? All that kind of stuff. Like, that's all she could really say. And so the Frankenhooker, if you want to call her that now, she then escapes this basement, whatever the fuck area, and she begins to look for customers because that's what she does as a Frankenhooker is go and look for paying customers. We have that whole scene with like her like knocking Jeffrey out, I think, and she's got her like little platforms that she has on her little platform, like they're not heels, but like uh, very much like Spice Girl shoes or whatever, <laughs> her like platform boots. And uh, anyway, she escapes and she's looking for these customers. Uh, One of the customers we have, I believe, is played by a uh, known character actor. It's a guy by the name of um, David Littman, uh, who is credited as Frankenhooker's trick in this. And if you don't know who he is, you might actually know if you're of a certain age. Actually, Weekend at Bernie's too, but he was also in commercials. Anyway, but then we have... So we have Frankenhooker out there on the New York streets. Um, She's going back to what she knows best, I guess. And so, but we see that uh, the customers that she did have, so the one guy, uh, he explodes from electricity when they try to get intimate with her. Um, So, like, he explodes, which is fun. Jeffrey then goes looking for Elizabeth, and he finds her at a bar. He, like, accosts some Swedish guy on the street about, like, did you see this woman? She was about yay high. And she's, like, purple because she's all purple now, too. And so goes for Elizabeth and finds her at this bar, this huevos carnes bar or whatever. And uh, unfortunately, Zoro is there, too, because, of course, he would be. And upon hearing her mention his name and recognizing the body parts, so he realizes kind of what's going on here. Pretty much, he realizes that all of these, like, uh, parts belong to his girls. And he actually, uh, Zoro hits uh, Frankenhooker and hits her so hard that the head mostly detaches from her body. So that happened. And so Jeffrey, while he's in that bar as well, he evades Zoro 
and he takes Elizabeth home to, like, first reattach her neck, but then also to revive her as well. And so you have that going on. Um, So, again, they leave the bar. She goes back home. And so after bolting her head on a little more securely to her body, um, Jeffrey wakes Elizabeth up finally, finding that her memory has now been restored. So you kind of have this nice little moment where, like, it's not just... Frank and Hook are talking, it's Elizabeth talking, and at first Elizabeth is impressed that Jeffrey has brought her back, but obviously, like, brought her back in a different way because all of her body parts are made up of different prostitutes, and so then becomes furious, though, about what happened to her body and how it was made and how he obtained the parts and all this stuff. Um, so she's kind of pissed about that. Uh, Jeffrey does try to explain himself with this, but he's attacked and decapitated by Zoro, who comes back and is like, who comes to his house, I guess he finds out where he lives, um, who followed him home pretty much. Uh, Zoro in this like garage area attempts to drag Elizabeth away with him. So you see all that kind of going on. And then also we had seen that I think Jeffrey, before he gets his head cut off, he uh, had put these different uh, body parts in this like vat or not that it was like a fridge of goo of preservatives i guess of all the rest of the parts of the hookers because then he's going to put them back together i guess and so um so zoro's justifying that you know most of the new body parts came from him and all that but then with you know out of the blue the spare hooker parts that i was just talking about they've been reanimated by the storm that's happened and this lightning and stuff and has merged into these like grotesque limbed like monsters just like all of the body parts getting together and like just making these like weird horrible creatures that were created by like Gabe Bartalos who's a known special effects guy they overwhelm Zoro drag him away into the storage cooler that it was they were in along with you know I guess he dies and then also his drugs go with him and so the hookers got to get back at their pimp which is just so, you know, wonderful. Um, Elizabeth decides to revive Jeffrey, the same procedure that he used on her. So now Frankenhooker's a doctor, I guess now, which is cool. And But since this process only apparently works on female bodies, Elizabeth now is having to recreate what Jeffrey had done. And a lot of what she's talking about is like pretty much her mirroring what he has uh, said before already. So Elizabeth is forced to put Jeffrey's head onto a body made of the hooker's body parts to bring him back. So, you know, you have this kind of mirroring scene of um, Frankenhooker talking as if it was Jeffrey which he was saying a little bit earlier about what was going on. And as Jeffrey awakens, Elizabeth happily says that they'll be together forever. And then Jeffrey just like screams in horror at his new female body he has. Cause like legitimately it's James Lorenz's head on just a naked woman body with boobs and, you know, the vagina and everything on it. And, uh, and yeah, that's where they can have their, uh, their nice little happy ending with Frankenhooker and whatever Jeffrey is now. So, yeah. And then that is the end of Frankenhooker. So, you know, needless to say, this movie isn't exactly for um everybody. 
<laughs> and probably really couldn't get made today at all with just the amount of nudity that's in it and just the subject matter and all this kind of stuff. Even just that ending when I first saw it, I was like, oh my God, what is this? Like it for shock value maybe because I don't know. There's just a whole lot going on with it. Um, so yeah, this is definitely a movie that I don't think could really get made any, any all today. Obviously this is a, it's very much a Frank Henenlotter movie. Frank Henenlotter movies are known to be kind of bad. They're good type of thing. So bad they're good. But I actually think that this movie is just pure horror schlock. It is pure, like over the top camp and craziness and, and exactly what Frank Henenlotter would give us. You know what I mean? So I don't ever really, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of these things where I think specifically horror fans who like this kind of thing or who enjoy and can appreciate that kind of, um, movie, I guess, uh, will probably enjoy this if they haven't already seen it. Uh, and I also just think if even you're just a casual fan of horror, uh, maybe you haven't watched a Frank Henenlotter movie before. I think this one is, is a little bit more palatable because it's just how ridiculous it is. I mean, literally the title is Frankenhooker. What else could you ask for? You know, I, I definitely love this. Now, in terms of where you can watch it at, like I stated before, there, it's been on Shutter for a while. And also if you're into, um, you know, watching, you know, the last drive in type of thing. Uh, there was the Joe Bob's Heartbreak Hotel, or no, it was the Heartbreak Trailer Park, I believe, where, uh, this was shown and you, you can actually watch this movie, uh, intercut with some interviews from Frank Henenlotter, um, who Joe Bob interviews, and then also James Lorenz, who plays Jeffrey. So that's kind of fun. This is also, uh, Darcy the Male Girl on Last Drive-In. It's one of her favorite movies. She cosplays this, and it's really, really fun. I think this is also such a f- popular female cosplay, especially for horror conventions and things, and I, I totally love that. And I think also James Lorenz and Patty Mullen and these people involved, like I've, they've gotten to do some little conventions here and there um, to talk about the particular experience they've had with this movie, and it's just kind of nice that people, I really do think, enjoy it for being this cult classic and this wonderful thing. But yeah, it's on Shudder. It's on Tubi. I'm pretty sure you can find it there. So that's for free. I mean, I would always recommend this movie. I think it's absolutely a great turn your brain off kind of thing. Like you don't have to think a whole lot about it. Um, you can most likely find it for either free or if you have a Shudder subscription or something, you can watch it there. You know, whether or not I would uh, tell you to rent it, I guess. I mean, hey, if you want to, um, I would rather probably watch it on Tubi if I'm not going to pay anything for it. But I do highly recommend if you're into just like over the top, crazy, weird movies, or if you're not opposed to watching one of those, I think this is a nice little one to watch would just be like, what the hell did I just watch? Because there's no like real good ending to it. So, you know, I, I do think it's it's worth a it's worth a watch. Absolutely. For sure. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. In case you want to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you just want to say, hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram handle is Cult Cinema Circle, and Twitter handle is Cult Cinema Circle. 
On those platforms, I tend to announce the different episodes I'm going to be doing. I'll make little Instagram stories when we have an episode drop and just generally interact with anybody on there that wants to interact with me. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I log the movies that I watch and write little reviews about them and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much out there everywhere. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review so we can grow the audience more and also just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'm going to be covering 1999's Cruel Intentions. Seeking a thirst for dangerous games, Catherine challenges her stepbrother, Sebastian, to deflower their headmaster's daughter before the summer ends. If he succeeds, the prize is the chance to bed Catherine. But if he loses, Catherine will claim his most prized possession. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, when a mayor loses his hose, he loses everything. Take care. Bye.